Welcome to the Faith Element Podcast for the November 27, 2022 session, focusing on Romans chapter 13, verses 8 through 14. Wake up. I'm David Cassidy. I'm Nikki Hardiman. I'm Burt Montgomery. And I'm David Adams. Well, I hope you all had a wonderful Thanksgiving. Mm-hmm. Yeah, we haven't had things because we're recording this before right. Thanksgiving. <laughs> <laughs> I hope we did too. I do too. <laughs> I am planning a nice juicy smoked turkey. So, of you course know, you are. We'll see how that turns out. So, No, we're actually recording this uh, November the 11th. So we're looking forward to Thanksgiving, but but anticipating uh, a good a, a good season. Uh, and as you approach November 27th, I hope I hope you're full, happy, and have had a good time with family and friends. Uh, my my lead-in question for today is a little bit embarrassing. Well, it's not embarrassing. It's about being embarrassed. <laughs> <laughs> and before the show started, we we actually talked about this a little bit and discovered some things about ourselves and how we yeah. experience embarrassment or not. And <laughs> so uh, I, the question is this, but come at it however you will. When have you been embarrassed by something that you did not notice, but other people did? Something you did not notice, but other people did. David, I think you're going first. Sure I am. <laughs> but you were involved with this. Oh, no. Uh, oh. I didn't vet this. I, I'm, I'm, no, I haven't heard this. I'm yeah, one of those on. people who, who really, really gets intensely involved with movies when I'm watching them. I mean, I just really get involved with the plot as it goes on because I like stories. So one day as I was sitting in the living room, uh, the Cassidy's were over and we were watching a movie called arachnophobia. And, <laughs> oh. and there's this scene where there's a woman taking a shower and the spiders come in and oh. it's, it's not about the shower. It's about the spider is on her and she doesn't notice. And you know that at any point they're going to come bubbling up out of the drain or something and be all over her and stinger and stuff. And so naturally I was, taken by that. I was just panicking and I got more and more nervous and more leaning into the, the movie when suddenly I realized that there was no sound around me. So I turned around and looked and everyone in the room was watching me instead of the movie. <laughs> <laughs> it was all I could do not to go, boo. <laughs> oh, that would have been mean. Mm. <laughs> Okay, David, I will tell you, um, and I told you before, I get embarrassed all the time. That is not a foreign experience to me. I'm just always really aware of it when I do. <laughs> no like, surprise embarrassment. Yes, no surprise. Yes, I am. I have a, I'm a little hypervigilant um, on being aware of myself and what's going on around me. And so I really couldn't think of a story <laughs> to go with your question. And I try really hard, even when I don't like your questions. Yeah, I, um, yeah. And I tried hard this time, but I couldn't come up with one. And I think it's just because um, I'm just always really aware of my embarrassment. You have a high <laughs> embarrassment self-awareness quotient. I do. Yes. Hmm. <laughs> yeah. I, I'm not sure I can answer the, the, that question either. Like, you know, when everybody else was noticing something and I wasn't, but I will tell you a story about being embarrassed. Um, I, I, y'all know that I was in the marching band. We've talked to that, about that before. And I was always, you know, prided myself on being really good at marching and getting everything right. And my freshman, and I got into the famous maroon band here at Mississippi State University. And my freshman year at Mississippi State, uh, we went, um, to play LSU 
in Jackson, Mississippi, because LSU was too good to come all the way up to Starkville. So we had to meet them in Jackson, yeah. Mississippi. Um, and I was so excited because being from New Orleans, I thought that some of my friends might have been in the cheap seats, which at the time was the end zone section. Um, and I had not seen them and because we moved. Anyway, it's a long story. But anyway, so I, we're doing the 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 pre-game spell out where we spell out Mississippi. Well, we don't spell out Mississippi State. That would take too long. But we spell out state, right? Um, and I forgot what letter I was in. I was either in the T or the, the second T or the E. And um, we're marching and moving along. And I start looking. In, I'm close to the stands. So I start looking into the stands, looking to see if I recognize any faces. And then immediately the formations change and people pivot and are knocking me down and I'm in the way and I'm on the ground and I got to get up and find my way and scatter back. And yeah, I've never made a bad mistake in marching band before, <laughs> but boy, that was the worst time to do it. And then the oh. next week, the the band director always had a, they always had a big video camera doing the overall so you could see this. And he says, who's this guy over here that's just getting in the way and not making the pivot on time and you know all that kind of stuff like, but anyway yeah i hated it i was so embarrassed and this is 30 years ago and this is the first time i've ever told that story that's how embarrassed i am by it. oh wow yeah. oh man. i'm honored yeah it's glad nobody was hurt do you feel like you let something go by sharing that with us I don't know. <laughs> Nobody's ever going to ask me to be in the marching band again, which I guess oh. at this stage is okay. But <laughs> they're not beating on my door anymore. But <laughs> uh, so, when uh, Regina and I lived in Georgia some years back, the church we were part of held an annual outdoor nativity play, a performance, and it was in an. We had an outdoor amphitheater and everything. Um, and so the stage area would be set up. We had this green area and then we had like a little building that was the inn. Uh, and we could come in and out of that as part of the play. And then there were entrance and exits through the bushes <laughs> on either side of the stage. And so, you know, we could do these productions. And each year, the, the, the nativity story was told from a different perspective of someone in the story. So one year it would be told from the perspective of the shepherds, one year from the angel Gabriel, another year from the parents, uh, another year from the wise men, and so on and so forth. And I was often in this this production. And we had lines and everything, had to memorize. We got mic'd up, so we'd put these wireless mics on us and everything. And we had costumes. So and so I was in the the one with the wise men, or as we called it, the wise guys. Mm. And I, I had this tunic on and I had a belt and you know the sandals and all the stuff. And I I also was trying to be in costume so I didn't wear my glasses. And I can't see without my glasses worth oh. a flip. So um, I was, I was, we were doing our lines and doing our thing. And, and of course it's laced with humor. Of course it is. And at one of the points I realized that my microphone, the little box that holds the lapel mic cord had fallen off my belt underneath my tunic and was dangling. And I was afraid it was going to jerk the cord loose and I was going to lose sound. So I, while there, there was a song being performed, I stepped into the end quietly and I got in there and reworked everything so that I could have the mic reattached to my belt. Oh, no. And I got it all sorted. And then I realized, you know, they were just about to start and I had the first line. So I stepped out, got in position, and the entire crowd at the amphitheater was on the floor laughing, crying, laughing. And I was like, I haven't even said my line yet. 
And, and I had no idea what was going on. And one of the guys next to me reached over and pulls my tunic down. It had come up. <laughs> I had left it up around my belt. <laughs> I was showing a, a fair amount of leg. And, <laughs> and so... And so anyway, after, so that's why they were all laughing. And <laughs> um, anyway, we did finish the performance and afterwards there's always a reception and people were coming up and they were sure that I had had to go to the restroom and had to slip out and just hadn't gotten everything back in place. <laughs> oh, <no. laughs> that's oh, hysterical. It, anyway, I, it was very embarrassing, but it was also kind of funny. I couldn't blame them for laughing. <laughs> I bet it takes a lot to really embarrass you, though, doesn't it? It, it kind of does. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> it doesn't take so much for me. But <laughs> you know, if people are, if people are laughing, it's not a bad thing. That's, That's what true. I figure. That's so, true. <laughs> well, uh, this is, I believe, the first Sunday of Advent, right? It is. Wow. Can you believe it? I, I really cannot. Um, but I did tell an Advent-ish story just now, so maybe we're ready to to roll in. So, <laughs> David Adams, would you uh, would you help us get started with this one? Sure. I think it's fair to say that most of us have something that we are really into these days. These are the things that we look forward to because we know that while we are participating in them, we are in our element. We're happy and excited. But mostly we just feel confident because we know that's where we feel connected to something meaningful. For me, this has always been the Sundays of Advent. I love the themes, the colors, the stories, the decorations, the music, the worship, all of it. So it is that I feel both honored and elated to be able to come onto our podcast where we are still talking about the first Sunday of Advent, which is Hope Sunday. With that in mind, Here's what I told the people who listened to my church's podcast last year. Hope. It's hard to come by these days. It seems that when we look into the eyes of other people, we see a lot of anger. People are angry because others fail to take seriously the problems we face, while still others are angry that people look on them as selfish or even foolish, because they feel forced to care about others more than about themselves. As the anger rises and the bitterness of our divide increases, it's hard to feel optimistic about the future. Amidst all the talk about case counts, shootings, climate catastrophes, and other forms of upheaval, it's easier just to tune out the news, if not other people in general. This is not all we have to look forward to, though. The season of Advent begins by reminding us that, in the coming of the Christ child, hope is returning to an ever-darkening world. We sing, Come Thou Long-Expected Jesus, because His coming gives us hope. Maybe things don't have to be so bad. Maybe we don't have to feel so desperate. Maybe there's something coming in this season that can help us find the goodwill that we seem to be so sadly lacking. We really don't know. We want it to be so. We might even expect it to be so. That's hope. So here we are, a year later. Many of us still feel beaten down by the stress and strain of a world where things don't seem to be going so well most of the time. And just like last year, we still need a strong word of hope. And some the scriptures are here to give it to us, aren't they? When we first glance at Romans 13, it's not so obvious. 
there's no better, no image of a better world where all our problems have gone away. The world the word hope doesn't even appear in this passage. So what gives? Everything. That's what. At some point, we need to realize that hope is not so likely to be found in the birth of the Christ child itself, but from what it means. At some point, we have to acknowledge that hope doesn't really come from some anticipated event that is going to take place, but from those times when we drop those things we want, that we're looking forward to, and start focusing on what others need. When we give them a reason to have hope, our hopes will be realized too. Paul has clearly been thinking about this. He gets it as he's telling us straight up how hope works. Owe no one anything except to love one another. Love does no wrong to a neighbor. Salvation is dearer to us now than when we became believers. These might not be exactly what we consider to be words of hope, but these are the sorts of words that lead to that place where hope can be found. And looking beyond the physical, everyday needs, and focusing on the need to show the love of Christ to other people. I love how Paul tells us that now is a moment for us to wake from sleep. For all that some people will use the expression of being woke as some sort of insult, those of us who are taking Paul's words seriously know that being woke is exactly what we should be if we are to have hope. We need to be aware of our neighbors, those other beloved children of God, to whom the world is not paying attention. We need to value the hopes and dreams, the lives of people who have only barely tasted justice, if at all. As Paul is telling us, we need to put aside all those things that hold us back, all those little things that separate us from being the kind of people God wants us to be, and become the kind of people our neighbors need us to be. In a recent observation of the tragedy of Kristallnacht, we were reminded of the divine command that you shall not stand idle while your neighbor bleeds. I believe that this command still stands. If we refuse to wake up and help our neighbors, we refuse to give them hope. And if we refuse to help others create hope, why should God grant any hope to us? So then, let's all embrace the hope that comes with the Advent season and the impending celebration of the birth of the Christ child. But let's do it while we are fully awake. Let's find ways to extend our hopes to others. Let's make good on our obligation to love them. Let's give other people reason to hope. And the hope that we celebrate will ring through all the more clearly. Dave, thanks for that. Um, I, I love the willful, willfulness that you expressed to be hopeful. That in spite of hope not always being obvious, that our determination to live into hope is something that, that is to be held on to. But, but most importantly, what I really appreciated was the, like toward the end, how you really focused on how our job is not necessarily hope for ourselves, but, but hope for others, that we are to bring hope for others as part of being Christ followers. And that's a really different attitude and posture than saying, I need hope, um, which I do, but 
it, it is, it's just very different to think about it in terms that it's, it's my job to be, how am I bringing hope to others? That that's, that's pretty cool. I don't think that you can get hope unless you give it. And, and the other piece of this is, I don't know that people can take hope away from you either. I think it's something you have to give up. You know, that, that last thing you just said, David, David Adams, um, Hope is something that people cannot take away from you. Made me think of Viktor Frankl, and I quote him a lot um, in his book, The Meaning, um, Man's Search for Meaning. Um, but he, here's a man from the concentration camps who's lost his family in concentration camps and who was tempted to give up on his, his faith. I mean, he was Jew, a Jewish person. Uh, but he says, you know, you could strip away everything from a person. You can strip away their family, you can strip away their livelihood, you can strip away their house. You can you can take everything away from somebody except one thing, and that's how you respond. And he talks about finding ways to imagine a different reality than what you're experiencing at that moment and to live into it um, as a defiant way of hoping against hope, as a defiant way of hoping against everything that is happening to you right now so that you don't give in to despair. And in other words, what you said, hope is something you can create even in the most devastating and unimaginable circumstances in order to survive. The, the, the hope to see something different and then the will to, to live into that, even though it's not happening around you at that moment. And that's something that people can't take away from you. Bert, I really like where you went with that. This idea of imagining a different reality and living into that. And I think that's a lot of what Paul is calling us to here. And I think it's what Jesus is try Jesus tries to teach us how to do when Jesus walked on the earth. And that is that choosing to live in ways that are antithetical to the circumstances in which we find ourselves. And so in your example with Viktor Frankl, everything in his situation told him to live in fear, to live um, kind of closed off, to expect the worst. But when we can choose to live in ways that, that don't respond naturally, I guess, to our circumstances, that's where hope, that's where hope can carry us. And so it's kind of like, even though this isn't the circumstance, I'm going to, my, my circumstance maybe says, there's not enough, there's a scarcity of resources, or my circumstance might tell me that I'm not loved, or my circumstance might make me believe that, that I'm all alone in this world. Hope helps us to choose to live in ways that respond differently, to choose to live with abundance rather than scarcity, to choose to live as if we are deeply loved, um, even when we don't have anybody putting that into us right now, to choose to live as if there's a community around us, even if we feel really alone right now. That's where hope can take us. Does that make sense? Well, I hear that being built. Uh, there's there's some guy whose books I read all the time. I don't want to embarrass him by saying who it is on the air, but uh, you get a sense from reading a lot of his work that yeah, we just did what we're supposed to do as Christians, as people who claim to be children of God and followers of Jesus Christ. And we just did that. 
just woke up and lived the life we're supposed to live, we would be making hope for people. We would make a hopeful and kind and just world if we just lived into what we know we're supposed to do. Yeah. Nothing fancier than that. So in, in the light of that, hearing Paul say, hey, wake up and do that, you know, that really is one of those places where, okay, I can see now we go from being people looking for hope to being people who generate it you know, and help create it for others. Mm. You were talking about Bart Montgomery books, weren't you? Yeah, some dirty hippie. I don't remember his name exactly. But yeah. I'll, I'll need to see a, a reference on that because I don't remember writing that. <laughs> <laughs> well, actually, this is one of the things that really sticks out to me because you once wrote an article about hospitals. How we could solve the healthcare crisis if hospitals just lived up to the names on their signs. Oh wow! And I, oh, I, took, I remember that. I yeah. took from that this idea. That, you know, if we just lived up to the names that were put on our signs, who we were as people, which is what I think Paul's telling him to do here. If we just lived to that, if we just woke up and lived to that, and and did these things that Christ told us to do, we'd be making hope for a lot of people. We change everything. So, I, I'm a big Star Wars fan. You probably know that already. And I have been so excited lately that um, there is a new series, which I'm not going to introduce spoilers on, but <laughs> if you haven't watched it, it's incredibly well-written, well-acted, and the and the videography is awesome too. But anyway, uh, it's, uh, it's the series on Disney Plus called Andor, and it's named after the main character. And we, we get to see the story of a person who's raised in utter oppression by the empire and how he finds a path toward hope and an active role in what they termed the rebellion against this empire. And of course it leads up to the movie we've already had out Rogue One, where we see them in action. But one of the more famous lines from the movie Rogue One is rebellions are built upon hope. And, and you think about it, you know, that's, that's kind of something you wouldn't expect, right? That in the midst of darkness and oppression and violence and evil and uh, authoritarianism, that hope would be this engine that leads ultimately to change, not just for us, but for all those who are affected by the evils of, of that oppressive state. Anyway, I, I just bring that up because I think it is an illustration. The fact that these stories continue to be retold that stories about hope up against uh, the greatest of odds and in the midst of terrible evil and oppression, that that's where often hope might flourish the most. Those are stories that we tell over and over in movies and literature and elsewhere that um, I think that's for a reason. We have to be reminded of that. Well, I get closer to this topic lately because I'm hearing from a lot of people who don't feel like they ever have reason for hope, you know, and, and you know, they're, they're primarily people from underserved communities of different, you know, different races or different political persuasions or, you know, different religions or whatever, but they're told so often that they don't count, that they don't matter. They're, they're told so often not to bother hoping because it's never going to happen that you have to wonder then how are they generating it? How do they keep going on? Who's going to be the one who helps them find this? And I can't help but wonder, again, it's all about this waking up thing. Shouldn't we be the ones who are waking up to help them find this? 
I'm sorry, I was asleep. What What did you say? Exactly. <laughs> I, I, I like this idea of, did I hear one of you say generating hope? Yes. I like that idea because we think of hope as a, a finite object that we can, we can seize, we can hold on to, or we can give to somebody else. But I think what Paul is getting at here when he's talking about um, this urgent appeal to wake up from our sleep, to live into, to live uh, not in the works of darkness, but put on the armor of light, to, to love our neighbor as ourselves. This is something we do. Hope is, hope is generated by doing. And when we're tempted to give in that, that nothing we do matters, that everybody's out to get us, or, or there's nothing I can do that's going to help anybody else, uh, and, and, and go back to Viktor Frankl. I mean, this is not a whitewashing of making everything feel better and making it all go away. It's still there. We've said this already today. But, but that idea of generating hope that even in the darkest of circumstances, even though I don't think it's going to make any difference at all to anybody else, I'm still going to do something that is right for my neighbor. Uh, it may be the last thing that I do. It may be the last thing that they receive, but I'm going to do the right thing for my neighbor. And in doing the right thing for my neighbor, there's this behind the scenes generator that's beginning to build hope out of this, that in doing and doing and doing, hope begins to grow and spread. You know, I, I think of um, what's going on in Ukraine and how we now that this has been going, has, has it almost been a year? Yeah. Right. But now we, we are as horrible as it is. And it is obscenely horrific. We can't even begin to imagine the tragic things that are happening. But after a year, we see the Ukrainian people are yeah. still having something to fight for. And we hear reports of Russian soldiers giving up and fleeing because they don't have anything to fight for, right? There's yeah. that, that hope is being generated in doing goodness you know, and you talked about Star Wars and oppression and, and all that kind of stuff. I, I think this, there's just something powerful about generating hope. Yeah. What if our churches were hope generators? Mm. It's a really empowering kind of image to think of. And it it kind of like, to me, it's like um, it's an electricity analogy, right? That we can create more. Like, it's possible to do that. And hope, I think eventually when people can hope together enough transforms and changes communities. This makes me think about um, when you uh, in seminary, you take pastoral care classes and you learn some things about counseling and, and working with couples often. And I remember one of the things that they talked about with, if you are, working with married couples. So you're working with a married couple who is having a hard time in their marriage and they're considering divorce. And a, a counselor who was talking to my class said, whenever they come in fighting, I have a lot of hope. There's a lot to work on there because when they're fighting, it means they still care enough about the relationship to work on it. And so that gives her hope. And she said that when they come in and they, and they're not fighting anymore, they've gotten beyond the fighting and they just are rather indifferent to one another. That's when 
it's very difficult to help a couple find their way back to each other. And it makes that makes me think about it's kind of a roundabout way, but it makes me think about this thing we're talking about that the fighting has energy. And they wouldn't be fighting each other if they didn't have hope that they could get back to each other. They just need help figuring out how to do it rather than through fighting, right? But this idea that hope creates energy once you have a little bit of it and you continue to work with it and generate more, it it energizes it to keep going, right? So it's like this exponential kind of growth thing. This whole conversation about waking up and hope as we begin the Advent season is is really interesting and appealing because I I feel like in some ways I have been sleeping, that the events of the past few years, the pandemic, the war in Ukraine, all the traumas we feel like that we are enduring as a society and as a world I mean, even as we look at climate change and what it's doing in terms of strengthened hurricanes and fires and droughts, and it's a lot. And yet, to be able to wake up that hope is something we can generate, that we can share, that we can pass along and encourage in others, that, that is an encouraging thought. Um, and, and Bert, I really enjoyed that you you underlined the, this bit about that hope is something that we do. We, we, we live it out. And so there two things that, that I want to mention. One is a quote by the great Christian philosopher Aristotle. Oh, wait a minute. He wasn't Christian. <laughs> no, just the great uh, Greek philosopher Aristotle talking about hope and about being awake. He said it simply like this. He said, Hope is a waking dream. Hope is a waking dream. And then I want to just read a part of the scripture passage from Romans for today, because I think in the light of our discussion, it feels different. So hear the words again. Owe no one anything except to love one another. For the one who loves another has fulfilled the law. The commandments, you shall not commit adultery, you shall not murder, you shall not steal, you shall not covet, and any other commandment are summed up in this word. Love your neighbor as yourself. Love does no wrong to a neighbor. Therefore, love is the fulfilling of the law. Hmm. May we love our neighbors as hard and as simple as that is. And may that bring us all hope. Thank you all for this good conversation. Thank you. Thank you. Subscribe to the Faith Element Podcast on iTunes or Google Play. Learn more about our Faith Element Bible Study curriculum at faithelement.net. Faith Element is a service of Faith Lab.